Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So I regret to inform you that I'll be subjecting you to yet another story. I think it's the, uh, the burden of having grown up among a bunch of stories and people telling stories. And in reality, stories are really all that we have anyway. Outside of experience, it's story. So a few years ago, I was uh, given a ticket to uh, attend a talk at the Pearl on mindfulness. And uh, it was a lunchtime talk. It was very nice. They provided lunch for us. And we sat and we ate and we listened to a couple of folks talk about mindfulness. Uh, and there were two things that struck me about the about the talk. Um, the most obvious one was uh, uh, something that happened uh, maybe about halfway through. I had, uh, because of three years in the military and twenty years of Zen training, I'm incapable of eating slowly. So I just wolf, you know, I wish I could slow down. I try, but it doesn't work. And so I wolfed my sandwich and was listening. And, and at one point, one of the presenters reached into a cooler that was on the table and lifted out this cold, dripping human brain. And everybody with a mouthful of food just froze. Because <laughs> uh, this person was talking about the structure of the brain. And uh, my first thought was, you just lost everybody. <laughs> Nobody's going to remember anything that you say afterwards, or anything that is said afterwards from either present presenter, and they're going to forget everything that was said before. So that was the most obvious thing. You know. So I, I don't have any brains up here to, to show. You know. um, but what was even more interesting, I thought, and much more subtly, is these two presenters talked about mindfulness for, it was well over an hour, I want to say it was about an hour and a half. And at no point did they have us do any mindfulness exercises. They talked about the neuroscience and the psychology of mindfulness. At no point did they say, sit, close your eyes, pay attention to what's happening right now. That struck me even more, actually, than the brain. Um, and that, <clears throat> as we were sitting uh, this morning, that, that memory popped up, and I thought, wow, we're so lucky that we have places where we can come and sit and 
not only talk about the Dharma and preach the Dharma, but to actually practice the Dharma. That we can come together and sit together, support each other in our practice of paying attention and mindfulness. One of the things I say whenever I offer incense um, is, may the fragrance of the Dharma free all beings everywhere. So um, it's my hope that whatever talks I give or whatever talks are given here uh, are of benefit to people. Whether it's just one person in the entire world, or whether it's more than one, uh, just so they're of use. And so, and we never know what's going to reach us, what's going to reach our heart. What is going to uh, touch us. Because we're so lucky that we get to uh, sit and practice the Buddha way. So Sabuti, in the Diamond Sutra, Sabuti asks the Buddha, if a noble son or daughter should set forth on the Bodhisattva path, how should they stand, how should they walk, and how should they control their thoughts? And for this practitioner, this is, this is at the end of chapter 2, and chapter 3 for this practitioner uh, is a, Nice, really kind of sums up um, practice in the Bodhisattva path. And so the Buddha says to Sabuti, Sabuti, those who would now set forth on the Bodhisattva path should thus give birth to this thought. However many beings there are in whatever realms of being might exist, whether they are born from an egg or born from a womb, born from the water, or born from the air, whether they have form or no form, whether they have perception or no perception, or neither perception nor no no perception. In whatever conceivable realm of being one might conceive of beings, in the realm of complete nirvana, I shall liberate them all. And and though I thus liberate countless beings, not a single being is liberated. And why not? Sabuti, a bodhisattva who creates the perception of a being, cannot be called a bodhisattva. And why not? Sabuti, no one can be called a bodhisattva who creates the perception of a self or who creates the perception of of a being, a life, or a soul. So Kuka Sensei and I uh, co-led a class on the Diamond Sutra this last fall. And uh, in studying this uh, 
was really, really taken by this chapter. Uh, there are 32 chapters in the Diamond Sutra, each one corresponding to, uh, or same number as the number of distinguishing marks that a Buddha has. But chapter three um, is quite remarkable. And when we hear it, and we're thinking, what's this egg, air, water, perception? What's this? What's this really? What's this, what's this about? I, I don't get this. Um, and this is the way, <clears throat> pardon me, um, it's like that for a while until the Dharma really, really soaks in and we start to come to the understanding in a completely different way, an understanding that's uh, our own understanding. And so uh, I'm just going to talk about my understanding of this chapter. So uh, when the Buddha says, whether they're born from an egg or born from a womb, born from the water or born from the air, whether they have form or no form, whether they have perception or no perception or neither perception nor no perception. So in a way we can look at this as like the beings in the six realms, right? That there are all there are these, these beings in the six realms that we can't even possibly conceive of. But what the Bodhisattva does is say, well, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be present for all of existence, for all of beings, whether I can see them or sense them whether I have an idea of them or don't have an idea, I'm not going to leave anything out. I'm not going to leave anybody out. So, um, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, beings are numberless, I vow to save them, but that actually doesn't put it into like a real perspective. Because uh, by saying numberless, we're already narrowing a number, right? So, we're, so we actually go exponentially beyond that. When he says, whether they're born from an egg or born from a womb, born from the water or born from the air. So what this is saying is that our job will never be finished because beings, whether or not we have any perception of them, or no perception, whether they can see them or can't see them, constantly coming into existence and dying out of existence. So therefore, the work is never finished. We're saying, like, I'm just, I'm just going to show up for all of reality as it shows up in this very moment to the best of my ability, without discrimination. So like we were talking about a couple weeks ago, with the rope boatman on the river sticks, he's blind to whoever he carries across the river into the underworld. He just takes who's ever there. And even though Sharon is blind, he can still see the person that's there. So we say, okay, here we go. We're all in it together, including me.
So this is this to, to me is just such a wonderful image. This uh, taking care of all beings, whether or not we know, or don't know, or think we know, or think we don't know. Nothing's left out. No one's left out. Because if we don't, it's very easy to fall into the um, the trap of the three poisons. Right. Every morning during uh, morning service, our short morning service during the week, we say the repentances in the right. We chant the repentances in the refuges. We say all my ancient tangled karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind. I now fully avow. So all the unwholesome karma that I have generated over periods of time from, from beginninglessness and endlessness, greed, hate, and delusion, these are the three, the three poisons. These are the things that separate us. that enable us to otherize. And that, that enable us to push away. So when we come and we sit in San Antonio Zen Center or <clears throat> just about any other temple outside of city center and in, in, in Japan, in the Zendo, There's only one figure on the altar. There's one main figure on the altar, and that is Manjushri. The Buddha is in the Buddha Hall, where you do this, where you do service, you do ceremonies. But when you sit, when we sit, we sit with Manjushri. And Manjushri, if you see him, is holding aloft a sword. Not just any sword, but a flaming sword. So there's two forms of purification. One is water and the other is fire. So with the flaming sword, Manjushri cuts through the fog of delusion, which is what we do whenever we come and we sit. Whenever we come and we sit with each other, we're asking for help. We're asking for help from Manjushri to help us cut through the fog of delusion that causes such suffering in our lives and in the lives of others. So even uh, outside the, the, um, the monasteries that the Buddha uh, founded, um, there was uh, the three poisons are at the center of this painting. On the outside of the six realms of existence and the twelvefold chain of causation, or dependent origination, depends on that. And at the center are the three poisons uh, which give rise to the suffering of the six realms. And then uh, in the twelvefold chain of causation. Maybe we should put that over the door here of the Zendo when we come in.
warnings when we <clears throat> whenever we chant the refuges and, and we end with I now fully avow. We speak it out loud. We speak it out loud in the presence of others, making the invisible visible. So that we can bear witness to each other. It's like, you know, I've really uh, created <clears throat> some unwholesome karma for myself in the past. Um, but I'm acknowledging it in front of you now, which is also asking for help. Anything that we do in front of others is asking for help. One of the things that I often uh, suggest to folks is um, if you have an altar at home that you offer incense where you offer incense and maybe even sit in front of. It's really important to have people who inspire us, you know, people who are important in our lives. But it's also equally important to have a picture of someone with whom we have a difficult relationship. So we don't leave out that particular being or beings, if there's more than one. We offer incense to that person as well, too, when we offer incense to the people who gave us love and affection and inspiration and hope. It's equally important to offer to the shadow. So in the Perfection of Wisdom, 25,000 lines, the Buddha says, Toward all beings give birth to thoughts and words of kindness instead of anger, compassion instead of harm, joy instead of jealousy, equanimity instead of prejudice, humility instead of arrogance, sincerity instead of deceit, compromise instead of stubbornness, assistance instead of avoidance, liberation instead of obstruction, kinship instead of animosity. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. We're going to take one thing and substitute it for another. Just let go. No. Don't give anger, give kindness. How wonderfully simple. You know, it's the remembering that's the tricky part. You know, especially if we're caught in the clashes, the afflictive emotions, negative emotions. Um, that's why it's so important just to stop for a moment. Just to stop for a moment. Even doing that, my understanding is um, whenever we're, whenever we have a habitual way of acting out and something happens that triggers that, uh, it's my understanding that even just pausing for a moment begins the process of rewiring the brain. 
too. Um, because before, it's like the North and South Pole on a magnet. Just goes right there. So just the act of pausing for a minute opens up options. So whether or not we're able to uh, offer kindness instead of anger, anger um, perhaps restraint might be a good one as well. So he says, in whatever conceivable realms of being one might conceive of beings, in the realm of complete nirvana, I shall liberate them all. And though I thus liberate countless beings, not a single being is liberated. So whatever inconceivable realm of being one might conceive of beings. How about inconceivable realm of inconceivable beings? We can't leave that out either. Well, as Ryokan said, uh, the Japanese poet, Zen poet said, oh, that my robe were wide enough, big enough to cover the suffering of the world. So, though I thus liberate countless beings, not a single being is liberated. So, bodhisattvas really, um, the archetypal bodhisattvas don't really have such a good self of sense of, of, sense of self and other. Uh, it makes, that's what makes them bodhisattvas. We may not want them driving a car, but uh, since we need that sense of self and other, again, like the boatman, taking everybody across without discrimination, So all these beings that are liberated, right? This includes us. It doesn't not include us. So we say, thus I liberate all beings. What, what are we liberating all beings from? Actually, liberating all beings, including ourselves, from a self. We think of it as suffering, but the uh, the principle is the self. Sue Swan says, "Belief in the self is the most basic of all beliefs. All other perceptions arise from this. All other perceptions arise from a belief in the self." But it's not just a perception, it's the actual living out this sense of a self. Right? Somebody takes our parking spot at the grocery store. We get, in, we get indignant. How dare they do that to me? So even more specifically, when we are saving, when we are liberating all beings, when we are saving all beings, we're actually saving them from us. We're saving 
all beings from our idea of who we think they are and how they think they should, how we think they should be. We're not doing anyone any favors by trying to make them act out the play. The play, you know, that is directed by us. So this can actually sound kind of a misanthropic, like a misanthropic point of view, but um, that's actually not the case, simply because it seems to be the way that we are wired, is to want to control, want to uh, inflict the three poisons on others in some way, in some form. And when we look at the three poisons, it's um, <clears throat> so greed, greed or, or um, desire. Sensuality is another term in terms of like sense, sense appetites, how we want to grab on to sense appetites. Hatred or aversion and, uh, and delusion. Basically, you know, my experience of this, having encountered all three at various points in my life, is it all tends to be fall into the category of aversion. If we're greedy, this is mine, not yours. Don't take mine. Uh, and, and delusion is completely about aversion because of. Uh, we have an illusion, as, as Red Anderson says, we have an illusion about the way things are, but in the delusion is that we believe it. So it's like, um, like the fun house, you know, in the carnival where you have the mirrors that are all distorted and warped, you know. Everybody's got those glasses. You know? We think we're seeing clearly, but it's actually profoundly distorted how we see things. So saving beings from ourselves. So how do we practice that without engaging in self-hatred or misanthropy? Well, this is our practice. This is what we get to come back to work with over and over again. And that's the, that's the beauty of this practice. As you've heard me say ad nauseum, we're never a finished product. We're never going to be a finished product. So if we can accept that, if we can accept that we're always going to be deeply flawed, that actually gives a tremendous amount of space to change. However that looks. So hopefully other people have the same feeling. That they can say, oh, I want to protect so-and-so from myself, from my views about who they are. That's Tana. That's real heartfelt generosity. Even in, even in a 
in the moment of delusion, if we can say, I know you're not really who I think you are. You know, please forgive me. You know, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. That, that's a great kindness to, to uh, ourselves and to other folks. This isn't the same way whenever, uh, if you ever have to get up and speak in front of people and you're nervous and you say, I'm feeling a little nervous, you see everybody in the room relax. It's the exact same, it's the exact same thing. It's a profound act of kindness. So beings, whether they're born from an egg, a womb, water, or air, whether they have a perception of them or no perception, or no non-perception or non-perception, I endeavor to meet them all. I strive. I will open my heart as, pos- as much as possible, as frequently as I can. Hopefully I get reminders from that today. Gotta remember that vow. So the nice thing is, since we're never finished, we get to sit with each other, expound the Dharma together, and enjoy and enjoy each other's company. In my very small world, it doesn't get much better than Any questions?